0: Don't just live life, make life boom.
1: How you guys doing out there? It's Douglas Hammond DJ with another episode of the Mighty Drop Club. Now, this show is six years in the making. So it's not your everyday show. This show was brought to you through a combination of experiences It's all about networks that share a common purpose, a common goal, common values. So, you know, when they talk about six degrees of separation um, between yourself and somebody of influence that you want to get hold of. Literally, this is what's happening on this podcast right here. I met a very close colleague of mine by the name of Brian. And um, this is the days when I was a Southwest Londoner in St. George's Trust. And we spoke a lot about positivity, um, encouraging and motivating, inspiring people. And we're thinking about what sort of platforms could we use to go ahead and do it. And Brian, he he saw something in me that I couldn't see. You know, not to say when you look at yourself in, in, in the mirror, you'll see a reflection back. But he saw something in me that at that time I couldn't see. He said, Doug, you're a powerful communicator, but you need some refining. I mean, what do you mean? I I knew I could communicate with certain people and I knew I could get my message across. He said, no, you you got that Martin Luther, Luther King speech in you. You got it in you somewhere and you need to go to Toastmasters and explore and practice the art of communicating, speaking and helping others to do the same thing. So... With reluctance and hesitancy, I did that and I never looked back. It's been the most powerful, the most singular thing I have done to get myself into this position right here in the way I I can communicate with people, you know? So thanks to Brian for that hookup. And then it's also about, like I said to you, it's about these networks. Networks that are, are what we call soft ties, but They're connected by the same objective, okay. And it's through that network that Brian has introduced me to Calvin Nows. Now, Calvin Nows is the empowerment coach, you know, and in, empowerment is a very loaded um, um, word mm. and, and it's a statement, yeah. It's not about him, it's about his services, his ability to empower other people to do the things that they want to do in their life. So whether you're on business, whether you're doing uh, your um, top earner, executive coaching you need, he can empower you to hit those marks, whether or not you just want to be a better individual and you want to work through your challenges and and, and your concerns and, you know, tweak here and there so that you can um, reach your optimal level. This is what Calvin Niles does. So like I said, this is a six year in the making so there's no pressure here, Calvin, right? Yeah. <laughs> not, there's, there's no pressure here. So yeah, six year in the making podcast. So Calvin, welcome to the Mic Drop Club. Thank you. How are you doing?
2: Good, good. Thanks for that wonderful intro. Thanks for having me here. Oh. And congratulations on uh, seeing the fruits of your labour. No, thank you. Thank yeah, you, guys. Yeah.
1: Thank you. It's all inspirational. Um, I feed off other people. Mm. You know, mm. me me alone, I can't do anything. It's just, it's the networks that we engage with. Yeah. That allows us to do all this stuff. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm honored that you're here. Uh, I feel very, very blessed. And my ears, my mind is open. I'm fully open to the discussion to learn from you in terms of how you add value in people's lives in terms of empowerment. So the floor is yours. How did you get into this mm-hmm. whole notion of empowerment and how do you know, Brian, anyway?
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> Brian, the uh, the man in the room but not in the room. Yeah, yeah, most definitely. <laughs> so um I think it's an accidental discovery, uh, because I would say it started by a combination of life experiences coming together mm-hmm. uh to a point where you almost reflect and say, well, hang on a minute, what does this actually all mean? Um, and my life story up until this point, if you want to call it mm-hmm. a life story is one of no sort of remarkable experience. And when I say that, I mean that in the best, most, uh, uh helpful way to the listeners, everyone's experiences are challenging in their own way. Mine, I own them. Once I owned them and I reflected, I started to ascribe meaning to my own story. So, what ended up happening was almost accidentally, I met Mr. B. Yeah. We call him Mr. B. Brian. Yeah. Also (laughs) known as Mr. B, a moniker uh, that that arose because this is a man of uh, remarkable stature, I have to say. Yeah. And Brian met me at a very interesting point in my life where I was assembling my own story. I was, uh, I would say, uh, maybe reflecting on some of the major aspects of my experiences and turning them into meaning live. (laughs) He witnessed this whole thing. Wow. Okay. Wow. And that organically turned into a service to others before my own eyes where I didn't even realize I was helping other people. So I know you obliquely referenced uh, Brian Toastmasters. I think that's a common link between us because uh, we used uh, the beauty of uh and learning experience of toastmasters to express ourselves and i started to serve people there um just as uh, uh, alongside my own career when i was in corporate but that eventually evolved into something much more more powerful which was to help people discover and share their story cut through the noise and get to the essence of their key message uh, and that evolved through a series of uh iterations um, which involved using tools such as mindfulness, deep listening, wow. and then sharing it out in, in the most impactful way. So I would say uh, that's a quick synopsis. <laughs>
1: sure, sure. So there are a lot of tools that you're bringing to the table in terms of um, impacting on change or allowing change to 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 occur in, in an environment whereby people, I think you use the word reflect. Yeah. And this is something that I want to explore with you in terms of your own journey um mm-hmm. did you mm-hmm. how do you how do you reflect in the way that you remove bias because like sometimes we can romanticize yeah. on things yeah. in the past and we win our battles in our imaginations yeah and the reality is something completely different how do you reflect what sort of methods do you use so i think
2: and this is just my own view that you can't remove bias. I think is inevitable that there will be a bias there because you any, any perception that you take, you're always only looking at it from your own viewpoint. Even if you try and change that viewpoint, it's still yours. Sure. <laughs> so there will always be an element of bias there, but you can try to be as objective as you possibly can. Uh, and that comes with disassociation with the emotional entanglement with your experiences. <laughs> what that essentially helps or helped me to do is... Really try and make my experiences uh, more, shall we say, constructive. How can I reflect on what's happened on the events on their own mm-hmm. and turn them into meaning in a way that it helps me to become a better person later? And then how can I then share that with others? So uh, there is an element of looking back on what's happened, asking yourself a question again about, okay, well, what does this actually mean in the context of where I am now? Yeah, and then turning that into a new meaning, which is what I like to describe as the narrative. What is the narrative that you're telling yourself about the events of your life? Inevitably, that is what forms the story. <laughs> that is what forms your story. So,
1: so that was that the beginning of the journey, the, the ability first and foremost to, um, reflect with bias, yeah, but objective bias, yeah. Did you use any way of measuring mm. uh, an experience? So, for example. If you failed an exam, yeah. past mark it's quite clear yeah. how to measure pass or fail. Uh-huh,
2: uh-huh. But in
1: terms of situation or, or experiences, yeah. how would you then tell that? You know, you're talking about the storytelling. We're going to get into this storytelling, but I'm just really keen to to hang in there a little bit in terms of this this reflecting um, bit, whereby you, you you're being objective, but yeah. you can measure it somehow.
2: So how do you know how you're doing? Basically,
1: yeah, exactly, exactly.
2: So for me it's a very uh, anecdotal thing is it's non-scientific in my experience um we can come up with ways of assessing and uh, and it's uh, i think it's a, all down to how you feel so for any given situation how did you feel in that situation when the incident occurred versus how do you feel now <laughs> <laughs> okay yeah. Yeah. and then there's a spaciousness that comes inside of you so a practical example very often business owners will go through challenges, you know, and I was on a, doing another interview recently where somebody was talking about cash flow issues in their business and how, and how hard that could be, and how all these scenarios run through their head and the potential issues that might arise in the future and things like that. There would have been a point in your past where you'd have experienced something similar. Exactly, right. Yeah. So yeah, then I get. That. How, does, how do you feel now in this situation, having applied or ascribed new meaning upon reflection of an event? how has that new way of looking at it or new perspective mm-hmm. change how you feel about the incident or the event there comes a point where we have to constantly apply these uh perceptions if you want to call it that mm-hmm. in order to embed a new habit pattern so it doesn't just happen overnight <laughs> it doesn't just happen overnight but then we ask ourselves these new questions all the time mm-hmm. and then the spaciousness will arise so the question about well, how do we feel about measuring the change, I would say going through a difficult patch that I had in the past and I felt tense and I felt tight and you know I was getting headaches, stress headaches, and which is which is a personal experience of mine, um, I would lose sleep. Um, what else would happen? I'd have arguments with people over nothing. all these things would happen. And then given a, a, an event of equivalent sort of uh, standing if you want to call it that, I feel a lot more spacious suddenly. I don't feel as worried as I did before. The event itself is exactly the same contextually. My financial pressure or my situation with the business is exactly the same, but I feel much more free about it. I feel much more in the flow about it.
1: I like the word flow. Mm-hmm. So um, when we are reflecting, mm-hmm. and you can correct me, my own experience for reflecting is if I do it, of as objectively as possible, as possible, I get what's called competitive advantage because when a scenario happens again, as you said, in terms of equivalence scenario happening again, Mm -hmm. I'm then saying, I've already got my tracing paper. In my head, it's another one of those situations. I always say, oh, it's another one of those situations Mm. and of which I already know the possible outcomes. I already know in advance I'm gonna feel so I can really um brace myself mm. for the plunge. Yeah. because it's another yeah. one of those situations, opposed totally get to it. yeah having a situation it's like you're constantly in the the now of the experience as if there's no reference to yeah. that experience. So constantly in shock. Yeah. You know, and then the, the flight or fright
0: mm-hmm. kicks in, Yeah,
1: you know, and I'm, I'm one of those ones that freeze. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that, that's just me when I'm, you know, don't, don't do a birthday party for me. Trust me. I was just going to be that just like, like mannequin in the room. Yeah.
0: You know?
1: <laughs> well, yeah. I mean,
2: look, man, <laughs> Totally. I think there is a, in, in my experience, your experiences will help you. Yeah. Um, and if you look back and, and say, well, this is what this means. This is how I dealt with it. Then that gives us a psychological advantage. And, or as you say, competitive advantage, it, it, it helps us to see, to see that we are capable of dealing with this. And guess what? I am capable of dealing with this in a different way. Cause I've learned of, of, I've examined that in the past. And I've seen that that's true now. Yeah. But there is also another area that I tend to focus a huge amount on, and this is attitude. Attitudinally, there will be things that we are unprepared for psychologically in the sense that we may not have experienced this event before. Yes. But we have to bring a certain attitude to that in order to be able to, to I suppose, go through it successfully. And there's where I think I've had the biggest personal experience of growth and being able to deal with challenge is that if i bring a certain attitude to a given challenge i feel more equipped to deal with it irrespective of whether i face faced equivalent challenge before yeah so i think we've got two factors going on we've got actual experiences sort of embedded in the memory yes i can go into the memory bank look at what a of uh, a path that I've walked before and say, ah, if I turn left here, if I turn right there, this will work out. And then there is the kind of, well, I've never walked this path before, but I know if I bring a certain attitude and feeling towards this, then I'm prepared or I'm equipped yeah. to deal
1: with it. So when you're talking about attitude, are we talking about, um, yeah, how you prepare yourself as an individual psychologically? Mm-hmm. Like you could have an attitude that's bad and negative yeah. waiting for the, doom and gloom type scenario. You could have attitude that's outwards, progressive, constantly looking for connections. Mm. Because again, if it's a situation that you've never experienced before, mm. there's always a connection somewhere along your, because you're expert based upon your own experiences of life, aren't you? Yeah. yeah. And this mm. is why I think when you talk about removing bias, you're so candid kind to of say, no, you cannot truly get rid of bias. It's mm. just recognizing that, you are expert on your experiences because you experienced those things. Yeah. It just the lens in which you view it yeah. is now objective.
2: Totally. Yeah. That's what I like to call it looking at the center of a cake from a different slice. Okay. You try Before and
1: you go, say that again.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> so I mean, look, at the center of the cake is yeah. the center of the cake. Yeah. And if we look at that from a different slice we try and get as much of a rounded or holistic viewpoint of the same center. So everybody looks at the center of the cake from a different slice.
1: Sure. Sure. No, that, mm. that, that I, li- I like that. I'm going <laughs> to run with that. I like that. And so as we move in, so the basis, I guess is reflection, being able to objectively understanding your biases, mm-hmm. reflect. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And, and then you wove that into the storytelling, yeah. It just so happens one of my favourite songs of all time is Outcast, The Art of Storytelling. <laughs> that, that, that song is phenomenal. I was going to ask you about Outcast earlier <laughs> and
2: the horns actually. Really? On their album Aquemini.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Um, I was spondic- Sp- Spotty, spodioti spondic- Dopolicious. That song,
1: right, <laughs> is in my top 10 songs of all when time. When we were talking
2: about horns earlier, I'm, that came to my mind. In fact,
1: that's how I built... Music, ah, because that's what that, I love, horns, yeah. And um, yeah. I was in the states when that second album, Outcast Second Album, Acrimini, yeah, came out. Fantastic, because of Blessing, man. um, Charles, yeah. You know, um, we were, we were driving from North Carolina to um, I think Virginia, we we're going, no, Boston, nice, and that song. You gotta say it for me against the longest. Spotty
2: yody doppelicious. <laughs> we had that on repeat. That song is so good, man. It's it epic. is a driving song too, isn't it's it?
1: It's epic. Yeah, 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 it's yeah. Epic. So, so the intro for the mic drop club, yeah, yeah. was very much influenced by the horns.
2: Well, that is what <laughs> came to my mind actually. So, funny enough, as you play that intro, which I've just heard for the first time, yeah. I went straight back to that tune. And then, of course, we go into the interview. So I'm like, I'll have to catch him about that later. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. So here's (laughs) another quick snippet to give you the framework.
0: You are so much more. MikeDropClub.com. The horns are going to come. Make life boom.
1: Not on this one. But yeah, on on the full intro. At the beginning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, Well, it's great. It's a phenomenal... Phenomenal piece of um, music, mm. you know. Even it doesn't rush. It's one of the songs that it's not rushing to go anywhere. It's yeah. almost like um, that that Queen Bohemian Rhapsody type thing. Yeah, yeah. You know, the days whereby you don't have to have a two minute song. It, chorus, 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 chorus. Yeah, it takes its time. It yeah. grows with you. Organic. I love it's that. It's a word. beautiful song. I yeah, love yeah, that. Yeah. I love that. And do you know what? It's, that's a connection. You see, you don't realize. Right. That this whole thing about soft ties is a Mm. phenomenal Mm. um, phenomenon that happens in life. Human beings, we connect to people. Yeah. That are in other networks that have common interests and goals. And no matter what happens, you connect. It's recognizing that when you do communicate, you speak in a way that is open. And these, these, these things happen. I remember being at an airport um, in um, LA. Yeah. And um, the plane was being delayed. I was by myself. This was before 9 11. I think I was delayed by eight hours or something ridiculous like that. Mm, mm. And it just so happened I was on the call, and um, the person next to me could hear some of my conversation. And I was I was relaying where I was from. I don't know to show the context, but I was relaying where I was from on this call. And the guy said to me, do you know what? That's where I was raised to. Wow. So the the, the, the remaining random. time- Random or apparently
0: random. Or apparently <laughs> random, but the,
1: the fact that he was open and he recognized the connection. Yeah. And once the connection was established, we engaged. And yeah. we had, so the waiting for the plane- was more bearable. And actually I learned a lot about about the individual and he learned a lot about me. It was a beautiful experience. So being open, the attitude as you as what you were talking about plays such a vital role in terms of setting you up.
2: Perfect. And that's a perfect example right there of attitudinal approach. You know, that openness right there is we can categorize as an attitudinal approach, which is helpful. And constructive.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. And there's the famous, famous saying is attitude. The attitude defines your altitude, how nice. high you go in life based mm-hmm. upon your attitude. So again, the art of storytelling, mm. we digress, but we kept it relevant. <laughs> okay. The art story. So I'll start off with another very quick story. That isn't a story mm. in Africa. There's a saying until the lion has a chance to tell its side of the story, the tale of the hunt will always glorify the hunter. Right. Mm-hmm. So it comes to the perspective that mm-hmm. everybody has a story, Not you like know, that. you know, and history, obviously will lean towards the history being told from one person to the, victor's the victor yeah. vantage point, yeah. you know, but in terms of empowering people mm-hmm. to, to tell their stories, mm-hmm. you know, and how, you talk to me about storytelling. I'm waffling. You talk to me about <laughs> storytelling and how you use that to um to bring about change and awareness.
2: So that is the word right there. Awareness. Oh really? Boom. Seriously. <laughs> it's all about awareness. Oh, say that again. Say that say again. again. Say that again. <laughs> awareness. <laughs>
1: awareness. Yeah. And, and you know, you say with this authority, the voice that you have there, you can do voiceovers, you know, Milk Tray, the new dog, your, your voice can go in so many different directions. Oh, right. You really have a gift there. So, well, thank you. Yeah, yeah. yeah most of it. And then, yeah, see, I can't even get the deepness. <laughs> Thank
2: you, there. Oh, dear. It's only coffee in here, honestly. (laughs) So, look, man, I think let's just go back a little bit about stories. Yeah. Everybody is telling themselves a story all the time. This is a fundamental truth. So, before we even Tell a story to another person, another person, or an audience, or whatever, before we externalize it to that degree, we got to get clear in what story we're telling ourselves. Mm. This is the fundamental point. This is why the reflection piece that you referred to at the beginning was so important. And this is also why I'm glad that you did start there because what story are you telling yourself now? Yeah. And this is a big, big, big part of the work because everything we tell ourselves is a story because just the mere fact that we are thinking, we are in story mode. So the work then is to tell ourselves a story that's helpful to us. That's the fundamental purpose of the work that I do. People tell stories in different ways. People offer services around storytelling in different ways and the are different uh, slices or sections or chunks or however you want to divide it. If you come to me and you say, help me express myself in a way that helps me exploit my personal brand and really help me to, uh, present myself in a way that's going to help me. I can absolutely help you do that. That is the end though. The beginning Mm -hmm. or or, or the, the earlier stages, um, would be to say, well, what story are you telling yourself now? Now, yeah. What's, what are you telling exactly. yourself where we are today? Is it helpful? Is it constructive? Is it limiting you? Is it freeing you? Is it, is it building you up or is it breaking you down? And then is it going to help others? What's the impact that you're looking for? All these kinds of questions. And then the space for the reflection is what will help to, sh- to shine the light on to these areas of your own inner narrative. So there's a chorus of voices we got going on inside. Who's talking? <laughs> yeah, is it your voice? Is it your parents' voice? Is it societal voice? What is it? Is the inner critic at work? What's what's happening there? And then let's turn that into something that's constructive. So, for example, everybody wakes up in the morning. Okay, when you woke up this morning, what happened? What did you do? What was your first action? Did you go for a glass of water? Did you just roll over and say, oh God, I just wish I only had five more minutes. Mm. Did you go to the toilet? What was the first thing you did? And then we could, in five minutes of your activities this morning, we can find a meaning in that right now, if you want to do that. And then we could say, well, what does that say about the narrative you're telling yourself? How is that voice inside working? And then we can come up with something uh, much more helpful to you if we're doing a piece of work. That you want to ta- uh, to redefine your story. So I like to call it, call it find, find the story. What are you telling yourself now? Redefine if we need to redefine it and then we deliver. Then, then we go into how to share that.
1: So it's fine. Redefine.
2: Yep. Deliver.
1: Deliver. Mm. And then how then you package it up and then.
2: That's the delivery element. R- run with it. Totally.
1: Okay. Okay, mm, cool. Mm. And is it a cyclical thing? Do you then go back to the beginning? Because again, stories are, are constant. As we grow, we're mm. constantly telling ourselves these stories. And I just want to pick up on the on this whole notion of whose voice is it? Yeah. I, I love that. and this, I'm tingling now you know, because <laughs> as, a, as a mental health professional, I don't bring that into the equation because you cannot really be a professional, professional at it. Mm-hmm. Um, constantly learning. Mm-hmm. Everyone... Gives you a different narrative, different story, and how say mental health affects them.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But there's a there's a, a school of thought that people are hearing voices of loved ones coming in, and I just want to make the connection with protected characteristics because this is something that is so timely right now. If you take a look at the every group of people that have a protected characteristics, whether your race. Your gender, sexuality, the religion, all these things are considered um, protected characteristics. But they also play a part in framing your narrative. Totally. Particularly where you start a conversation with somebody and they say, as a mm-hmm. black male, black woman, as a woman,
0: mm-hmm.
1: as a Catholic, as a Muslim male, you know, you already got the limitations of that thing that is protecting you um controlling the way that you will perceive life and the way that you articulate your own story so do you have do you challenge those as limiting beliefs or things or do you say let's use that and then build a different narrative that will support these say these values, these principles, these things that make you unique. Mm-hmm. Moving forward,
2: uh, both is the answer to yeah. in the way I like to approach it. Uh, the reason for that is we are alive, we live in the world, we have to talk, we have to communicate. So labels are useful, um, but but as you rightly uh, it's uh, just highlighted there, it's like a two sides of the same coin, right? The very thing that you need can equally be. Freeing and limiting at the same time. It's a constraint. It's like a cord on a kite. Yeah. You know, the kite needs the cord to fly, but it also keeps it tethered. Yeah,
1: yeah. again, <laughs> you know. So <laughs> I knew I I'm not trigger happy on this podcast. You know, <laughs> Brian, it's all your fault. <laughs> if I get carpal tunnel syndrome, Brian, I'm sending you the bill.
2: <laughs> no, but it's it's a true fact. You know, I mean, there's a there's an ancient um, uh, Buddhist expression. Uh, And, uh, you know, I may slightly misquote it, but it's something along the lines of, as soon as you call a thing, a thing, like if you, as soon as you call the bird, a bird, you actually stop seeing it. Yeah.
1: Wow. Wow.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Because the the thing is, is you see the bird for what it is before you can talk, before you can think, you just witness it for its existence. Yes. And then the label comes in and then you stop seeing the actual thing. You see your definition of it instead. Yeah, you do. You know, and this is exactly, I think, uh, along the lines of the conversation where the labels can help us and limit us simultaneously. So working with both of them, I think is important because people get to see the usefulness of the tool of labels and 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 uh, definitions, and also at the same time recognize its limitations. So then you are working in balance. When we're out of balance, we get absolutely hell for leather for, for labels. And then if we're totally opposite the other way, we don't really exist properly in the world. We can't really function. We can't go into a board meeting, for example, and describe a problem if we can't Frame it and contextualise it. So I think we need them both for the balance, really.
1: Sure, sure. And the balancing is, is the ongoing thing. As you take from one side, you've got to counterbalance on the other side. So you're constantly going from one side to the other, one side to the other to get that That's exactly, illusion of the totally perf- perfect balance in motion,
2: you know? So look, in another life, right? Um, when I say another life... This one.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Keeping it real.
2: Um, But it feels like another life. I was actually studying to be an airline pilot. And um, I remember first using the instruments to try and line up with the runway or just line up with a radial. You know, it's like a best way to describe is a line in the sky that the plane needs to fly along. Sure. Of course, it doesn't exist Mm. other than the instrumentation is telling you where to go. And it's a skill you have to develop. Of course, the wind is blowing the plane, and and there's rising air pockets and all these things that keep the plane bouncing around. But there's a needle that sort of tells you how many degrees off the center you are. Might be a little bit off left. Mm. You might be a little bit off right. The trimming. No, that's that's the yeah. That's it. The the, the trimming is the pitch. Yeah. The pitch. But but similar principle is that you're constantly readjusting. Yeah. And so to to get onto this center line to get in perfect uh, symmetry you're constantly going left constantly going yeah, right yeah. a little bit more left a little bit more right and that's the evolution of life really uh, and so i like that analogy because it helps to just see that you know as soon as you get on the center it's not the end
1: exactly <laughs> no and then that, then that that's phenomenal because a, a lot of people they they struggle when they have this they seemingly have all this, the the trappings of success mm. You know, nice house, model wife, two two kids go on holidays frequently, but they're depressed. Yeah. You know, the destination is the illusion, mm. you know, so you have to be able to constantly redefine yourself. And you see in music, those artists have been able to constantly redefine themselves yeah. and are comfortable. They normally have a longevity opposed to those ones that stay but then there's always deviant, there's always different, oh, do you know what? In music's different, that's a wrong example because sometimes in music, those purists will say, do you know what? Actually, this artist that stuck their guns is the one. But mm. I'm just talking about in general, people yeah. um, we like, because I think human beings like novelty.
0: Yeah.
1: We like new things. Our eyes gravitate to mm. things that are different. Mm-hmm. Once, as you said with the bird, once you've labelled it, you don't see it. Yeah. But then when you see something else that doesn't look like what you just labelled,
0: yeah. what is that? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Is that a bird? Yeah, plane. <laughs> yeah. You have, what? What? What is that? Well, this
2: is this is the this is the interesting thing. So, I mean, I remember a stage in my life where I would be, let's say, in my work context, and somebody would misdiagnose uh, or mispronounce or use the wrong word or whatever, and the whole room, including me, would be like, that's nah, not what it is. it's this?" You know. And you are thinking this, you are not necessarily expressing it all the time, hmm. but I think if we evolve to a place of understanding, then it becomes less a question of whether that person's right or whether they're saying it correctly is that I'm trying to understand what they actually mean Hmm. It's what they mean. So then when we look for the meaning in the expression, then we can free ourselves a little bit from the prison of the label. So a person will be saying something and then they might, for example, call a bird a cat. Um, But the cat was flying and it was, beautiful and it was pink and it was, you know, had all these colors and mm. and it was stationary and it was hovering. I know he's talking about hummingbird. Mm. All of a sudden, it doesn't matter he's called it a cat anymore because I'm looking for understanding and meaning. I'm I'm looking from a different slice of the cake. Otherwise we get blinded by or confined by trying to correctly diagnose everything to such a degree that in itself becomes the
1: hindrance. Sure. And uh, you see that panning out particularly when people are applying for jobs mm. and um, the top, as it, as it were, are trying to ensure there's equal representation from different groups. Yeah. So when you then type in your protected characteristics, the list, as of <laughs> probably showing my age, <laughs> when, I was, when I was first going into employment, there were probably three or four categories, white, black, Asian, African, something like that. now (laughs) it's like the amount of tick boxes you can, you can go to then find out (laughs) to then to find yourself. Then you've got the last one. Yeah. None of the above. Yeah. You know, it's, it's our attempt to, to put people in a group, Mm. but sometimes when we focus too much on, putting people within this group, yeah. the true meaning is lost.
2: Well, it's a box within a box within a box within a box yeah. because we zoom in and zooming in is helpful, mm. but sometimes we need to zoom out. I know. And so as long as we zoom in, we zoom in, we zoom in and then there's black, then there's black Caribbean, then there's black African, then there's white European, then there's, you know, um, uh, subcontinent Asian, then there's Sri Lankan Asian and then there's Chinese Asian and blah, 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 blah. And then the the holistic view is lost because of the drill down going Get, becoming an obsession.
1: Yeah, that, 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 that thirst for data. And mm-hmm. we've seen it a lot. And I think as we're speaking, I'm seeing how stories has a big impact, particularly in the realm of AI. I wasn't even going to talk about artificial intelligence. I thought this conversation was going to be straight talking about storytelling in terms of individual. But I just want to, just very quickly, because if you were to Google right now, say blackmail yep. person, or or female, Google will throw back at you results, yeah, that over time have been accumulated based upon people's either inability to articulate their story effectively or or being impacted or or stopped from telling their story. So what comes back in that search engine, if you then, that search engine results feeds into AI. Say, for example, if you talk about futuristic thinking, a, um, Ed 209 Robocop type scenario In terms of How are you going to address A young male on the street mm. If he's using those algorithms Those re- those results yeah, If those results Born out of Of Incorrect stories Narratives Played out against individuals There's going to be a lot of harm being done So If If
2: the- what you just described there is quite interesting subject matter. Uh, to me, a lot of the questions should lie in the inputs. You know, how did we arrive at this uh, uh, algorithm in the first place? What is it that determines that these search results should be X, whatever they are? Mm. And they themselves are a result of a narrative of a given slice of the cake at any one time. So. Is it holistic enough in the first place, in the input? Mm. And so if you have, you talked about, if you Googled a a black male or black female, there might be a misrepresentation of results. That is because the narrative the person is telling themselves, who's influenced that algorithm in the first place, is only that one slice of the cake. It's not holistic. So I I like to get away from using words like right and wrong, um, because I prefer words like, constructive, destructive, or holistic or not. Uh, because right or wrong, not that they are right or wrong himself, mm. Mm. Uh, they just, they themselves come with such weight of constriction, and then they co- they cause people to do, uh, perpetuate a lot of judgment on others or themselves. So what I'm saying here is, when we are reviewing these situations, and these inputs into this algorithm of determined that a result should be X, and we find that is destructive, mm then it's not holistic because it's not accurate representation of the truth. There's a problem in the inputs. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And yeah. it's, it's a big subject. It's, yeah. but it's one, certainly I, I believe that as we empower the individual, yeah. the individuals empower a network and those networks should empower all those who have the perceived power yeah. um, to ensure that, when they're bringing out technology, when they're trying to influence policies and, and procedures, yeah. that it does embrace humanity. Because this totally. is what it's about, as you talk about the slice of the cake, we all, mm. we all want the same core things. Mm-hmm. yeah: mm-hmm. Food, clothing, shelter, um, achieving our goals, you know, all of these aspirations. We all Love, need that. fulfilment. fulfilment, yeah. all of that kind of stuff. We all mm. need that, the sense of belonging, mm. um, even the, the ability to forgive. Well, you know, and um, without any re, um, recriminations yeah. sometimes being, being able, being able what to- do you mean,
2: What do you mean by that when you say recriminations
1: for- uh, Because some, sometimes I think um, we, society can sometimes be so judgmental. Mm-hmm. Like somebody's done something to you. Yeah. i give you a typical example. When somebody has committed crime and it's reached a point that the media understand it. Yeah. yeah? Mm. And- say you're the victim of that crime, whatever the crime could be. Yeah. And if your view is, I forgive that person. Yeah. Normally the response back is how, how can you think like that? Yeah. You know, and yeah. that, and so there's an the element whereby the, the natural response, um, maybe that you want to forgive. Sometimes the pressures are to not forgive and, and, so, so, for example, um,
2: so there's like almost like a societal pressure that reinforces this idea of retribution or false into justice or something like that. Yeah, exactly. And you yeah, saw, yeah. You, you
1: can see it with nine eleven, mm. you know, that act of terrorism, yeah. you know, how many hundreds of thousands of people died mm. that were not directly connected, had mm. nothing to do with it. Countries were bombed into the Stone Age mm-hmm. for years, so about 10, 15 years of bombing, 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 mm. out of the, the fact that oh my God, this has happened to our nation. Yeah. How they, they do Mm. that. Yeah. So there has to be retribution. There has to be retribution. Don't care where it goes. Yeah. If you're of that ilk. Yeah. You know, if you've got those characteristics. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. You're culpable, some shape or form. Yeah. You know, so um, for those people who have like, um, is it um, Stephen Lawrence's mother.
0: Yeah.
1: You know, her resilience her ability to forgive, to find meaning, yeah, out of losing her son, mm. such a, and not getting the full justice of that, even to this very day,
0: yeah,
1: has been one whereby we exalt her. She's, yeah. I think, she's being made a dame now as mm. well. Mm. You know, the fact that she has, and she's, she's lauded for that this ability. Yeah, but there's still people within the community who are saying. Why and how can you think like that? Yeah. Because you're supposed to go for the retribution.
2: So, yeah, that's a form of mental slavery, really. Uh, and we all suffer from it and we all have the potential to suffer from it. Because like you say, back to the magic word, just awareness. Uh, a lot of the awareness is self-awareness. <laughs> so you you mentioned empowering individuals who then empower the collective. Self-awareness, self-mastery, those are ways to then help society rise in some consciousness so or awareness so forgiveness as you mentioned that is a really powerful word it's really big word and it feels really 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 heavy my own experience of forgiveness is that it's not for the other person there's a misconception in a lot of people's minds when i'm working with people who who feel like they want to forgive somebody but can't Mm -hmm. i said well do you really want to forgive them then <laughs> mm, mm. Do you really want to? Mm. Or are you getting some kind of payoff inside of playing the victim or some injustice has been perpetrated against you? And these are honest questions people have to ask themselves. Nobody can impose this answer on a person. You know, I'm holding on to this thing. Why? All right, I'm in pain. I might be hurting. Whatever. There's a perceived injustice that's happened to me. There might be an actual injustice that's happened to me. But that all of that is irrelevant because the event has already taken place. So the only thing that then keeps you shackled is your own inner state. So forgiveness then becomes a choice. And you know, I've I've got a friend right now who's like, I said, well, I I did ask him and uh, it was about his dad actually. And he says, uh, I asked him the question. I said, can you forgive him? And he said, I can never speak to him again, ever.
1: And I'm, and I'm using that mic, mic drop because a lot of people out there, mm. what, what you're replaying mm. is very, very common. Totally, well, Homes are broken because of this inability or this resistance to forgiving. I just can't forgive. Mm. It's happened. Mm. And therefore the black and white response means I have to not forgive. And you're fighting that inner part of you. Totally,
2: that's the word, There's the fight, it's resistance inside. Yeah, Yeah. Uh, And and actually it's, it's it's a fear there of experiencing the pain that's been experienced before. So there is this barrier that's created to not experience that pain, but actually, and what I said to him was, I said, you know, you can forgive him without ever speaking to him again. That is possible. Mm. You can forgive people who've died years ago.
1: Yeah.
2: So you'll never speak to them again. Sure. Sure. (laughs) The forgiveness is for you. Yeah, primarily. It's for you. Yeah, the forgiveness is for you. Any outward change of your reality that ensues therefrom is a symptom or a manifestation of the act of forgiveness. The forgiveness is the seed, and then any change in relationship or any freedom that you experience thereafter is the fruit. So the forgiveness itself is for you. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That, that's big. Anyone struggling with forgiveness? Yeah. Need to rewind. This podcast and listen to it again and reach out. Calvin's going to actually um leave his contact details. Yeah. And I'm gonna put more information as to how you can get hold of Calvin in the show notes. But this is profound because again, the payoff for the individual who's forgiven, is, is forgiven is what? What is the, the actual payoff for the individual? You've done it now.
2: Yeah. Yeah. The one who's actively forgiven. Yeah. So Everyone's inner state of freedom is already there in the center. All of the things around it, the prison that's built around it, are those things like the inability to forgive, uh, the lack of patience. Uh, why, again, I talk about attitudes, especially mindful attitudes. Mm. Once we cultivate these things, forgiveness, or another word, is a letting go, which is a mindful attitude a foundational attitude. Um, Once we start to cultivate these things, then we start to experience the freedom that wants to shine forth from inside automatically. So it's like saying love is already inside of you. And the reason why you're not experiencing love is not because you don't have love, it's because there are things blocking it. So the forgiveness is a blocker. And then you just experience a state of freedom. You experience a state of internal freedom.
1: Exactly, exactly. And I think too many people who've had negative experiences or perceived to have negative experience, either historically Mm. or in the now, this inability to reconcile or come to terms with the letting go, the the forgiveness is, it it, it creates and and it morphs, particularly when you're around a network of people that want to share Mm. hurt. You know, um, again, which are, which typically happens in the past. You cannot go back to the past. You cannot. Um, as you rightly said, the people now in the grave, yeah, that people in the living are still reeling from the actions of somebody that's no longer able to affect your present in the physical manifestation. They can't do that. Mm. So what sort of world do you want to live in with this time that you have? You know, you cannot go back and replay all the scenarios. This, this is not Superman 1 where he goes into space and reverses the planet. <laughs> that's not possible, yeah? That's not possible. There are too many moving parts. And some people say, I don't want to go back in time. I'm actually living my best life. Yeah. Superman so was no, 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 let's go back for Lucy. No, that's not going to happen. You know, being able to reconcile and come into terms with forgiveness is massive. Maybe it's a lifelong journey.
2: Well, actually, can I just actually add right now? So, you know, you're a person who believes in distilling to the essence, and this is the whole genesis of your book, the 140 rule, yeah. which is about cutting out all the BS <laughs> and getting to practical nitty gritty. So, yeah. if you have listeners who are asking themselves questions right now, like "I want to forgive," I do but I don't know how to, then here's a practical step.
1: Go ahead. Go ahead.
2: Get a notepad and a pen and think of all the things that, or people that you need to forgive. So the things you need to forgive, i.e. actions you need to forgive Mm -hmm. and the people who you perceive to have perpetrated those actions against you. List them all out. Once you list them all out, you might get to 100, you might get to 200, you might get to 1,000, you might only get to 10. It doesn't really matter the number. And then every single day thereafter, once the list is exhausted, you just start with the top one. And then you say to yourself daily, I forgive my ex-person for this action. I am now free. That's it. That's all you have to do. Wow.
1: Wow. That is a powerful powerful. Not only are you crystallizing your, your, your grief, your emotional um, turmoil with ink, you know, which is, which is phenomenal. You're actually then liberating yourself, you know, daily to the point that one day you will be be free.
2: Work through that list. You pick that one person, you do that one day. That
1: is big. That is, (laughs) that is big. Again, you need to, if you're struggling, This is why it's about sharing, okay? Sharing is caring, essentially, right? If you think that some of these lessons don't apply to you, you might know somebody who needs to be liberated emotionally, freed to express that which is within them that is coming from a far higher state of being than how they're actually living now. So many people have potential, you know, to to achieve greatness, in any which way they define it, but the limiting beliefs that they have is holding them back. Mm -hmm. And the more people that we release from this this state, the better it is for humanity, for all of us. There's room for all of us to be happy and live a a joyful life. Yes, there's been hurt. Yes, there's been um, very damaging things done. The planet should be the one that's beefing. Let's be honest. The planet should be the one beefing because look what humanity has done to the planet. Yeah, look at the oceans. Yeah, look what we've done to the, the oxygen levels. You know, look what we've done to the trees. Look what we've done to livestock, animals, all of that kind of stuff. And then we're still at the humanistic level talking about what another human being has done to us. The planet itself... <laughs>
2: Yeah. So it, there's a lot of depersonalization that needs to happen here, isn't there? What you're yeah, saying? Yeah. People are so introspective, living in their own bubble. And I like what you say there about there being enough room for everyone to be happy yeah. or everyone to live a fulfilled life. Uh, because it reminds me of, uh, of you know, the idea that a rising tide raises all dinghies or lifts mm. all boats. Mm. So the more people who are happy and fulfilled, the better off the collective is And this is the realization um, that comes with the depersonalization or the lessening of the I, you know, as people in, you know, if you want to use sort of spiritual language, people who, who become aware of the grip of their ego upon them, and then are willing to work with the ego to not let the ego itself be the driving force in your life but just be a partner. I mean, you get books out there about ego is the enemy or, and this is not to decry these, these books or, or any works or ego death and things like that. I find it personally, psychologically more helpful to see the ego as a friend who is just not as capable as your true yes. person as your true self. Yeah, And then, so the ego then becomes a passenger in the taxi rather than a taxi driver You're the taxi driver. You're the driver of the vehicle. The ego is the passenger. If the ego is in charge, then we think about me, about I. We live in the bubble. Then we're constrained by all the, what happened to me? The victim mindset. What can I get? And there's less about, you know, the uh, elevation, if you like, or the rising of the tide.
1: Wow. Wow. And I I totally agree. I I couldn't agree more because this whole notion, I think coming coming from a mindset of lack, you know, Um, I remember in the, I think, 80s or 90s, there was that that pop rock band called KLF. And what KLF did in terms of for a stunt, they burnt a million pounds live. Yeah. They took a million pounds of their own money and they burnt it. Yeah, they, they, they recorded everything. Um, they got the money out of the vault, recorded everything, and they were feeding the fire <laughs> 50 pound notes. Right? <laughs> right? <laughs> and they were slaughtered in the paper the very next day. How could you burn money? There's starving children in the world. You could have given the money to me and blah, blah, blah. People were in uproar. It destroyed their career. They, they <laughs> it destroyed their music career. Yeah. They thought at the time they're doing art. Yeah. and at, at the time they were on television chat, chat shows talking about why they were doing it. Now the funny thing is they went from a state whereby where they could art, I could they could defend themselves artistically then yeah but now <laughs> they're like they're broke <laughs> <Not money. laughs> but but the the lesson here is about um, more to do with how our notions of money yeah. If for you to be a millionaire, it means someone else can't be a millionaire. Mm. For you to be rich, someone else has to be poor. But the whole abundance mindset is, no, everybody could all be rich. All of us can all find happiness. All of us can all be in a state of, of bliss, zen, and all of those things that some people like to say are are spiritually driven. But ultimately, if I was working with a young 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 chap and he was struggling to articulate his goal, I said, what do you want to do? What do you do in life? What do you want to do? Blah, blah, blah. And he's never been asked that question, ever. No one's ever asked him. And you know, thinking back, hmm. my dad never asked me, what's my goal? <laughs> but there's a lot of things he said to me, what, like in a very mechanical way, in, yeah. in, in a very Socratic way, steering me along certain paths. Yeah. But never, like, truly, you know, Douglas, my son. What do you want to do? So this young chap is going through this conversation with me yeah. and he's struggling. Mm. It's just struggling. He can't come up with anything. Everything he comes up with is loaded yeah. either around his protected mm-hmm. characteristics. Mm. My dad was A. My identity. My mom yeah. was A. Yeah. So I must be A. Yeah. You understand? Mm. Limiting. Quite clearly, I could see the distress that this is causing this young individual. Yeah. So I moved from the that paradigm yeah and i went just asking what makes your heart sing what do you like to do that doesn't require any motivation yeah what do you like to do that, and you do it daily weekly and you think about it all the time yeah it just ha- so happens he likes drawing cartoons he was 14 at the time interesting the cartoonist now
2: Amazing.
1: Yeah. Yeah, He's a cartoonist now. Yeah. Because uh, we weren't moving, we were talking in a way that connected to his inner self. Mm. What makes your heart sing? Yeah. Do that. You know, because that is is what you want to do. Mm. The rest is framed around other people's or, yeah, other people's, even your own limiting beliefs around things that can. This is why the beginning of the conversation was so excellent in terms of it's, it's both sides of the same coin. Yes, it, it is something that we acknowledge is, mm. but at the same time, it can also be something that holds us back.
2: It's well, the- this is this is what you just said there about the kid um, and uh, doing what makes his heart sing. I find that a really nice uh, w- way to work on goals, because what I found with me is what make or what I thought would make my heart sing mm. wasn't exactly true. So it's also helpful when you're in that work, what you're doing, mm-hmm. help people to tease out what's true from what isn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Because it is, sometimes we, we get attached to ideas. And that's one of the, another fundamental or foundational attitude, which is non-attachment. So, so often we have an idea of something mm-hmm. and then we get attached to it. And then suddenly, if we think, oh, actually what I've learned is what makes my heart sing is now this people's people feel like but i've invested my whole my whole mind has just been focused on that and i said last week that's what makes my heart sing now i can't change it this week well maybe That was actually wrong. Who knows? You're the one who's to find that out. Exactly. But that's a great question to ask because then people start to seek the truth. Yeah. And then what is it that's clouding that? And is this an attachment to an idea or is this actually really my heart speaking or is it my head speaking?
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, excellent point because this is how software is developed developed nowadays. Mm. This is a Silicon Valley way of thinking whereby you try out things a hypothesis, I can't say it right mm. because this way my tongue is heavy, but it's, you try out different theories mm. quickly and you fail quickly. Then you move on. Mm. Um, that's how we get iterations of things that we interact with all the time from your Apple to your Android device. because they iterate all the time they try things if it doesn't work then it doesn't matter try something else and this is then this is this is great great i'm glad you you mentioned that
2: because something is just coming to my mind just now that is life That is life. we're constantly iterating but the difference is we're iterating with resistance Mm. so life is forcing you to iterate anyway yeah that's the reality it's forced yeah because think of all the experiences you've had. That's iteration. You've tried this, you've tried that, you tried this, you tried that, you tried a million things, probably. If I asked you to list all the things that you tried, you've probably forgotten more things that you tried than the ones that you do remember. Yeah. But the resistance to the experiences is what causes us the suffering. Yeah.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah.
2: yeah. So yeah. the suffering is a, f- a feature of the mind. And, and this is why the attitudes are so liberating, because it creates a perspective shift. So again, the story is so important here because what story are we asking ourselves now yeah how this tense just sounds quite analytical and quite uh, intellectually intense so people say i can't sit my whole life thinking about this you don't have to you just need enough enough to know that this is what is happening on the internal realm this is how human beings uh tend to work on the inside and just having that awareness is enough to move you to the next step
1: correct because every day is an iteration mm. and i've done a video about this in terms of People don't resist change. They resist being Ooh, yeah. changed. You know, that that's what the video was about. I done it on LinkedIn and just to to explore and unpack that whole thing. Because we all at a certain level accept this change around us. Yeah. We accept the seasons. There's nobody that says summer's not gonna come after spring. You know, you accept the changes of the season. So we can accept what we what a lot of people, and that's the royal we struggle with is accepting. The change that we have to go through ourselves. So, so, yeah, it's okay that winter's coming, but I'm not going to change myself. I'm still going to be me. I'm still going to do the things I did the same way. You know, if you're you're still, if you don't recognize that every day is an iteration, right, you tend to do what you did today because you did the same thing yesterday. So there's no growth you know, then you can wonder why things at, the, at a certain point will collide in your life. Mm. Because the reality is, as you sleep, the earth is spinning. You know, it, that's just fact of life. Mm. It, it, things is constantly moving. You know, the human being is a species that is supposed to be at the top of the food chain. But it's the only species that puts in place so many different safeguards. Like a bird will wake up in the morning knowing if it doesn't find those sticks, those bits of hay, the worm, all of that kind of stuff, it's not going to have a nest, it's not going to feed its young. But we can put in place things that people don't have to work if they don't want to work. Mm. Yeah? Yes, there are things like, say, I'm not trying to cascade or go, or go down people on benefits. No, that's not about. But we, we, we the law of nature, we sometimes subvert it. And for me to get the hunger to move and keep striving to do stuff is because I can, I visualise A state of Nothingness I just visualise My demise If I don't move forward You know And For some people Who get into the comfort zone Getting out of the comfort zone My dad always told me The two The two chairs That you must always avoid As a man And he says You say the word for me As a man Because you've got the deeper voice As a man As a man Yeah (laughs) The first one is The electric chair Yeah (laughs) (laughs) And (laughs) I'll repeat that. Ugh. The first chair is the electric chair. The second one is the armchair. These are two chairs you must avoid because the state of being comfortable. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. It affects your your ability to achieve things in life because you think you got everything. You can, but this is not the way the world works. It's constantly moving, it's shifting. Yeah. You know, you you've seen anyone decorate their house. Yeah, they do one room. By the time they go, get upstairs, <laughs> they have to go back downstairs and do that again. It's a <laughs> constant. Don't ever think you're gonna be in the state of, you know what? I've made I've it. I've made it. Yeah. You know, it's me. This is why it's funny. When you <laughs> some of my best actors, some of my best musicians, I can kind kind of like tell that once you get the Oscar or the award, your career is like, you're going downhill. <laughs>
2: <laughs> that's what they say. You know, that's what they say. You know, yeah.
1: Why is that? You mm-hmm. think they've made it. Yeah. They get comfortable. You got to give yourself, you know, um, nothing exists without some sort of uh, friction. Yeah. Yeah. It's nothing. You have to, friction causes things to move. And so you, sometimes you have to create it artificially when you're in a state whereby it's not. That's why I really expect people that wake up one morning and say, mm, I'm giving up my job. I, it takes a lot of, a lot of fortitude yeah. to just do that. But you get to a point whereby by like, nah, <laughs> this is not me. Yeah. And, and do that. So this is the ricochet effect whereby you think your life is going at a trajectory. Mm. hits an object, a life-defying incident. It goes at a completely different angle. That's what I do. I support people on that new trajectory. Nice. Because that's where the fear comes in. That's that's the unknown territory. What's it like? You know, but be honest, a lot of people in professions and jobs that if you're asked as an age old, would you think that in 20 years time, you're going to be working as an accountant, as a banker, as a lawyer, they'll say, no, I wanted to add dreams of something else. But what was happening is they were ricochet. And those people sometimes become parents. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> and, and and they're so and they're so fixated of ensuring that their children don't ricochet. Mm. This is the path you're going to go on, but that was not the path they went on. There's a richness in in, in in the story that you're telling. Yeah, you know the hero's arc.
2: Yeah,
1: you know I like to support anyone that's prepared to go on their journey. You, know, you got your you got your backpack on. Yep. You don't know what's in front of you and that's okay. Yep. You're going on an adventure. Chapter one, you know, yeah. that's how in the Lord of the Rings, when Fojo leaves the village. Yeah. You know, yeah. no idea where, what's going to
2: happen. What's tomorrow going to bring? You know, no clue. And the reality is <laughs> nobody actually does know what tomorrow's going to bring. There's the illusion of control yeah. where we think we know what tomorrow's going to bring. Even me and you mm. I, right now, when I get in my car and drive away, I don't know what's going to happen between now and by the time I get home. Yeah. I think I do. Mm. I have a plan. I have an idea. Anything else can happen. Yeah. You know, two years ago, I had a, a car accident that almost killed me. I walked mm. away with mm. just a sore elbow. Car was completely smashed to pieces mm. on the M25, spun out of control. And I it was, the the, the the car was literally like a suitcase. It was not a nice sight. Mm. And I walked away without a single scratch. Wow. Now, I was on the way to the airport to pick up my dad.
1: Mm.
2: Now, in my mind... I was going to the airport to pick up my dad, but something else
1: happened. Yeah, you're right.
2: <laughs> so, so nobody knows what's really going to happen. You're, you're
1: so right. And I, I live on the M25 <laughs> because I from from Kent to where I work in Slough, I live on the M25. Oh yeah, and I'm yeah. seeing people's stories literally mm. as you as you quite eloquently described. You know, the vehicle looking like as like a sardine can. That person left the house with their own narrative, their own story. Yeah. They had no intention that it's going to end like that, boom. Yeah. You know, but it happens.
2: So this is the thing, in a practical sense, Mm. make your plan, work towards your plan, but actually don't be attached. Have the end in mind but the means can be what they are. I mean, we've got the planets in motion, as you mentioned, you're sleeping yeah. and the earth is still turning and, and the everything is always in motion. Yeah. And things only happen when everything is aligned perfectly. It's not just us who's in control. Yeah. So what this is why I like to call it the illusion of control. We can influence if, events, but we don't have absolute control over every event. So therefore- when we all see that actually no one is in really in, in in control of what's going to happen tomorrow, then it just, and you you can translate that to simple things, Mm. simple things. Mm. I don't even know what you're going to say next. doesn't really matter.
1: No, do I? (laughs) (laughs) This is the point. So there's another,
2: there's another thing going on and that we, we have no, no absolute control over. And therefore the present moment, the now, Mm. the moment that just went, now the moment is about to come and this moment where we are right now is the only thing that we should live in as best as we can
1: most definitely i i fully (laughs) subscribe to the power of now because it's just there's no better time than now tomorrow's not guaranteed um i met brian yeah through his influence on toastmasters Mm. um what did toastmaster give you and Describe the whole Toastmasters philosophy because, again, to help people articulate yeah. their stories, yeah. there, there are certain tools they need to be confident that yeah. they can use. Yeah, You know, when you, see, when you meet a bad communicator, Yeah, <laughs> you know, that person actually has a story. Yeah. But the inability to express it yeah. might be um, resulting in them not achieving the highest heights in anything they want to do. Yeah. Because they can't express themselves and that can lead to frustrations and other types of things. So mm. describe the Toastmasters um, experience and what it's giving you.
2: So, I mean, of course, as you said earlier to me uh, that, you know, every tool is not going to fit everybody. Uh, I thought Toastmasters was a fantastic organization, probably still is. I mean, I've left it quite a few years now, uh, but it's changed and impacted a lot of people's lives because it's helped people to express themselves uh, is help people to formulate their messages. Help people to share them. It's help people to focus on different techniques. So, in that regard, I would advocate that organisation to anybody who wants to learn how to express themselves, how to uh, think more structured, and how to deliver messages that are clear. One of the fundamental points is you have to know what you want to say. <laughs> Oh, you have to know what you're trying to get across. Yes. Uh, so clarity of message is very important, and uh, and then delivering it in a way that that keeps people interested. You know, you, you know one of the one of my clients at the moment uh, a fantastic UK charity. Um, they uh, I write training for them. Actually, uh, I write training for them. I train their trainers, and then I've uh, I um, I've delivered uh, a document and a training follow up. So that the people who are learning are able to sort of recap on their on their messaging, uh, on their uh, training. But the point is about the messaging: is that what you want to say is important, okay? But how you convey that is not going to hit home if people don't want to listen to you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and this True. is this is really where I think the Toastmasters is very good. So if you have something you want to say, most people will arrive. Uh, at Toastmasters with a message already. I think everyone has a key message. They're just not necessarily aware of it. That's the word awareness being a theme.
1: 100%.
2: So some people have to become aware of their message. Some people already know they have a message. I'm not quite sure how to articulate it or how to share it in such a way that's impactful. So then you learn delivery techniques, how to flex your voice, how to use your body, how to... um, Use humor, how to use alliteration and rhetorical devices, how to embody, uh, uh, I, w- I don't want to say uh, entertainer, but how to stimulate the mind of the listener in such a way that it's open to the message in the first place. And that's really important if you want to get your message to cut through. So I think in that regard, Toastmasters has been helpful. Um, and it's also good to put you with people on different journeys because. You don't only learn from your own experience, you learn from observing others.
1: <laughs> yeah, this whole, this whole thing about observation, mm. you know, is good. I think I got that from Toastmasters that, that I could take a step back and watch somebody else yeah. do the same thing and I could learn cadence. I could understand the nuances mm. in terms of communication. Yeah, You know, um, that for me was super, the, the whole community, the whole vibe yeah. that we're all in this space we've all got a separate journey, yeah. but we, we've got a common goal. We want to be effective communicators, Mm. so anybody out there, again, if you want to get your message across, you want to cut through the mustard, if you feel that the way that you're articulating yourself is actually holding you back, and furthermore, this is where reflection comes in, even if you don't think it right now, reflect on it and ask yourself, am I sitting here in this room, in in this house I'm in, based upon my inability to communicate, yeah, because everything this is something I was told very, very young. Everything that you have right now is based and evidenced by things that you know, all things being equal. Everything you have is based on what you know right now and how you make use of what you know. Everything that you don't have in your this world. So if you're disgruntled because you don't have the trappings of what you perceive as success, it means you don't know something,
0: mm.
1: yeah? And you don't have the, me- the mechanics to operate the the tools to get those things. So Toastmasters allows and and, and it, it enables you to to communicate, which is the foundation of humanity. You know, if you can't communicate, we'd be all cavemen, clubs, yeah. <laughs> um, what's it, slingshots? That's how we'll be communicating. We'll be taking each other's wives literally by grunting. That's what I want. <clears throat> you yeah. But this is not the world we yeah. live in. <laughs> we have to be able to communicate. Yeah. So take a look at the job interviews that you've gone into. You know, this for Toastmasters is so, so good. The scenario, thinking on your feet, all of that. This whole notion, again, of having this elevator pitch. Yeah. Can you articulate your dream and aspiration if? The person that could enable you to achieve that which you want to achieve got in the elevator with you and asked you, oh, Frank, what do you do? Could you articulate that between the floor one and floor nine?
0: (laughs) Could you?
2: (laughs) And if you can't, get in touch with Douglas. (laughs) If you can't, the 140 rule is all about that. Concise thinking,
1: being, feeling, you know, that's what it's about. Can you cut through the mustard because people don't have time.
2: Yeah. So look, man, I think we can, we can split that out even.
0: Yeah.
2: If you're communicating to a passive audience and when I say passive, I don't mean they're not engaged in what you're saying. Mm. I mean, they're not talking back to you. So if you're doing like a presentation, a speech or you're, you're presenting, there's a different style of communication that is required and also that is much more reflective of your own clarity of thought. So this is where you have to really know what it is you want to say and frame it in a way which you think is gonna be most impactful. If you're having a conversation with someone, that's a different style of communication, that requires another element of communication called listening. Uh, And listening is equally important because this is where we, as we look back to earlier, we talked about understanding. Because without listening, we can't understand. So there then becomes articulation, how to say what you want to say. Yes. But then also how to receive and understand. Absolutely. So we've got two dynamics going on here.
1: How to receive and understand. In the Western world, we don't like silence. We don't like it. If you follow any conversation, even on the phone, and you get that dead air, I guarantee you someone's going to fill it. Straight away. Some people to add weight to certain things, you have to pause to let the message cut through the mustard. Mm. And if someone's talking to you and you're not giving them time and you're filling in their blanks for them, you cannot truly say you've listened, you know? So the tools of listening are paraphrasing, you know, allowing the person to express it. And there's an 80, 20% rule for listening as well, which I use with people. Um, and I, it goes like this, 80% should be coming from the person talking to you. You, you talk 20% of the time. If that equation is flipped on its head and you are speaking 80% of the time, but you are supposed to be receiving, the person now is doing 20%. No, it's imbalance. So all what's happening is you're replaying things that you know already. And this is why people <laughs> don't move. Don't ever learn new things. They have conversations with each other. Mm. Yeah. But it's a fight for that 80%. Yeah.
2: You know, I I like that. I like that. I've got to do
1: it. You know, another analogy I was taught from a guy in the army. He said, look, the most important person in the army is the spy. (laughs) Is the spy. Why is that? It's simple. The spy has to go and infiltrate the enemy. Yeah, And get information back to the commanders, the generals, to inform them so they can form a strategy to fight, defend themselves. Now, if that spy has the mindset of of the majority of people (laughs) who come back and say everything he knows already, or she knows already, you'll be obliterated. That spy has to go in and be quiet.
2: (laughs) When, my, when, when, I was a, when I was a kid, my mom always used to say, you know, if you talk too much, you know, some people say, oh, you know, you got two ears and one mouth for a reason. Yeah. My mom always used to say, listen and silence Or use the same letters. Think about it.
1: Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah.
2: <laughs> so just at that point of listening to the other person.
0: Yeah.
2: I did a workshop the other day. And it was, you know, we're saying, what's the biggest respect you could pay to a person? What's the biggest respect? And all kinds of great answers. Eventually we got to a place of listening and understanding. Great. I'm glad you said listening. I mean, I would agree listening is one of the biggest respects you could pay to another human being. So tell me how, what is listening? And how do you differentiate that from, let's say, hearing? Mm oh well and you know this is a very interesting to dissect actually i do it in my workshops all the time every single workshop when it's storytelling whether it's mindfulness whether it's communicating whether it's customer service whether it's how to deliver a workshop is always the core skills that are needed so hearing is just hearing right there's a sound hitting the air and vibrations and this vibrations. But well, I mean, like right now, we could probably hear a sound. But then what's going by outside? Can we hear anything? Yes. Right. Yeah. So now we've had to listen. So we've we've probably heard that a half an hour ago, but we weren't listening. We've diverted our attention. So when we're listening, we're actively paying attention to what is being heard. That then becomes listening, which still then is a differentiation from understanding. So we need to also do some deep listening, what I like to call deep listening, which takes listening even further than just paying attention to what's being heard, but also doing two things. Know what's going on inside you, which requires self-awareness. For example, am I preparing the answer for the, what, what I'm going to say next already? When the person's still trying to express themselves. Oh my
1: god! I know people who do that. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Everybody does it. Yeah. It's just conditioning. Yeah, yeah? it's yeah. just conditioning. We've conditioned ourselves, like you said earlier, in the Western world. We we just like to fill the space. Is because we are conditioned, so we build a habit pattern of just trying to respond and trying to share. So we're already. Com- coming up with an answer to to somebody's thing that they said five minutes ago, when they're still saying other interesting things. Then the second thing is listening for what's not being said, and here is a lot of where understanding is yeah. coming from. So you know, you know, they say um, music is the silence between the notes. Correct. Correct. If yeah. if if there was no silence between the notes, it'd just be cacophony of noise. So actually, it's actually the silence, the gaps in the notes that make yes. the music perceptible. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, So therefore, when we're listening then, when we're listening and we're listening deeply, we're understanding what the person is saying, what the person is not saying, and also we're aware of ourselves at the same time. And that requires introspection. Before you even get there, it requires a self-development process of familiarizing yourself with your own mind.
1: Uh, that is so profound. Just to build and add to that, the other analogy you have is, it's not the the bars that contain the, the tiger. It's the empty space between the bars, that silence. Silence is very, very important. And also intention is very, very important. Um, I think people tend to have this fear. It's, it's not really acknowledged. If you are the listener, There's a fear that you might be taken down a path that you know nothing about. This is where knowledge is very important. Sometimes we're in a conversation and we want to remain knowledgeable. So we will continually interject when somebody's talking to you just so that you stay within the comfort zone of what you know. You don't want it to go and drift. Yeah. And second to that, there's acknowledgement. I would say... 90% 90% of all relationships break down because one person in that relationship, relationship feels not, not, not acknowledged. The lack of acknowledging somebody and knowledge is in there, you know, causes these problems. And you cannot acknowledge somebody if you're not intentionally listening for things that are said or things that are not said. If your intention is to replay things that you know don't waste your time listening. In fact, when somebody wants to talk to you, say, okay, here's my responses anyway. And the fuck.
2: <laughs> I've got an envelope for you, mate. <laughs> uh, hey, just read that. Yeah, just read that.
1: Yeah. But seriously, if your intention is to truly understand and acknowledge where somebody's coming from, be quiet, mm. yeah? Take time to listen. Listen to their breathing. Right, right now, I'm looking across at Calvin. I cannot see his respiratory rate, unless he's panting like that. Breathing, you cannot see, but you can hear it when someone's speaking. Because when you work for uh, emergency services, the operator on the other side can tell from your voice how you're feeling in that moment. You know, when you're delivering counselling to somebody, you can tell through their breathing, you you can tell that the words become shorter, sharper, what they're feeling and what they'd be thinking Mm. more than what they're actually saying, Mm. you know? Um, so it's it's a very, very important skill to master and develop. And I think it comes confidence. I think confidence comes in all the people I know that are good listeners just happen to be confident people. All the ones that struggle to listen, they're not confident. So they will talk repetitiously, constantly looking for validation mm-hmm. to things that they are saying are over the top of what the other person is trying to convey. Yeah. You know, so nervous people, anxious people tend to chatterbox. Rounded people, are reflective, but confident in their ability to not know. I'm happy not knowing. Because okay. I know someone's coming to replenish, to add You know, so this is what it's about.
2: Um that's deep. is Can I do a boom on that one?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Brian Brian is all your fault. (laughs) It's all your fault, Brian. (laughs) You know what? Um yeah, we can we can we can talk and break down these these um lessons forever. Mm. And this is why I think Calvin, you add a lot of value out there so how can people get hold of you and and what what sort of packages do you offer Mm. you know
2: yeah so i've got a number of ways people can get hold of me they can go to my website which is www.calvinniles.com um they can uh also by the way you can find out about an interesting project i work about uh mindful device use which is a a a lovely timer-locked capsule which you lock away your mobile phones for more presence in the family and environment. So you you can see that at discovertome.com as a side project. But if you really want to uh, connect with your own true power and you feel that you need support to cut through the noise, whether that's getting to the heart of your key message for the purposes of a keynote talk, which is one of my popular products, if you want to embed more mindful living into your life, which is another service that I offer, or if you have a desire to be more impactful or powerful communicators in your corporate or work life, um, I offer a service around coaching around that as well. So you can find me on those those areas. Um, but you know, look, apply as much as possible of what we've talked about today, it's which is brilliant, which is important. I mean, I'm a working progress as a as a you. And um, you know this is a moment in time, you know. Oh my God! <laughs> we will have another conversation, and I'm sure there'll be more learnings that we apply. Uh, in most, this most
1: definitely. And Calvin, you know, you're honorary member of the mic drop club. You know, and look out for part two, Thanks part three, because I think what you've what you've shared with us has been rather dense. And it will take a lot of time to, for it to digest. But marinate on a few lessons. Listen 10 minutes at a time. Go back, apply, and then keep listening, keep listening. Then we'll, if you want any more information, hit me up. All the information is going to be available for you on the show notes. But trust me, this is a journey that we're all going on. Calvin is very open and frank. Sometimes we need to appreciate when we're in the moment. The moment. Yeah. Before we're out of the moment. Okay. So right now I've never been happier. I've learned so, so much. I'm just eager to go out and tell people things and, you know, page plagiarize all your stuff.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Feel free, man. Feel free. No, yeah. no, if just... it adds, adds value to others, that's the main it point. It adds
1: value. You know, be confident enough to share your experiences. So Calvin, I salute you. Mike drop club. We out.
0: <laughs> Thank you for listening. Don't forget to check out MikeDropClub.com and get the show notes and useful links. Subscribe to the podcast. Don't just live life, make life boom. Boom.